APIs represent a contract between a system and its consumers. They have evolved from pure system-to-system -system integration to involve many other stakeholders, making it very important that careful consideration be given to an API's design. Our guest for this episode is known as the API Handyman, who shares with us how to design APIs by diving into four layers of consistency, how to make your APIs more discoverable, defining and setting the boundaries between an API gateway and API implementation, and choosing the right API architecture and technology for the right problem. Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails, a podcast by Toro Cloud. Here we talk about digital transformation, application integration, low-code application development, data management, and business process automation. Catch some expert insights as we sit down with industry leaders who share tips on how enterprises can take on the challenge of digital transformation. Take a seat, join us for a round. Here are your hosts, Kevin Montalbo and Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Welcome to episode 46 of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is Kevin Montalbo. Joining us from Sydney, Australia is Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. What's up, David? G'day, Kevin. All right. Our guest for today is a senior API architect at Nataxis based in Paris, France. His daily job involves helping people understand what APIs are, why they matter, and how to do them. Known as the API Handyman, he authored the book, The Design of Web APIs, which teaches readers how to gather requirements, balance business and technical goals, and how to adopt a consumer-first mindset while teaching effective practices using numerous interesting examples. I'm very happy to announce as well that we're giving away a copy of the book to one lucky listener. So thanks to our friends at Manning Publications. Stick around until the end of the show to find out more about our giveaway. Without our further ado... Joining us for a round of cocktails is Arnaud Loret. Hi, Arnaud. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Hi. All right. So let's dive right in. In your daily job at Nataxis, you regularly help people and consult on API design. Uh, what are the main challenges that organizations are facing when designing APIs? Uh, there are actually many changes. We, can, we could talk about it for days. Uh, so I think we don't have days actually for this podcast. Uh, um, let's let's pick one of the topics uh, I really like is actually APIs are application programming interfaces, but there are nowadays there are far more than that because they are not just meant to connect pieces of software together. That's their primary intent, obviously, but now. As uh, a, an organization, a team, or business unit, a company, a group, uh, people must understand that APIs are a new way of creating business, a new way of making your company work better. And so actually the main challenge regarding API design is to make people understand that they have to design their APIs. Because uh, and until a few years ago, most companies uh, let the IT people alone design APIs because there were just technical connectors. But now when we design them, we need to gather the IT people, people with business knowledge, people who understand what means developer experience uh, to ensure the creation of APIs that do the job, but that do 
something that is useful for people outside your organization. It can be your team, your business unit, or your group. And to ensure that it can be used in various use cases. Uh, because as, as an example, if people start to project uh, for maybe uh, reworking their website, their mobile application, they can be tempted to create an API that is really tight, uh, too close to the user interface they are created. And they, uh, instead of doing that, they should rethink, okay, yes, we want to do a mobile application or a website, but what are the functions we want to put in them from a business perspective? Do we want to create bank accounts, do wire transfer? Uh, yes, I'm coming from the banking industry. Uh, and you have to think to that first. And afterwards, you will use them in your mobile application or website, but you will also be able to provide these features to, uh, to partners or to fulfill other use cases. So that's really, for me, uh, the main challenge. It's changing mindsets from, uh, for the IT people to understand that they have to do more and sometimes you, you just have to explain them and they get the thing very quickly. But sometimes, some of the time, you really have to work a lot with people uh, because sometimes developers tend to be uh, too focused on really technical issue. And you have to talk to business to make them understand that you have to invest in APIs. It's an interesting perspective because you're right. <clears throat> APIs came from system to system integration primarily initially. So, and now we've brought people into the picture and stakeholders and business users and end users and departments and all these requirements and different uh, devices and the like. And, um, and, and they need to liaise with still with those um, technical people who are going to be implementing the API. And there's going to be a whole bunch of communication going on and, I guess technical people aren't known for their communication skills. They prefer to sit in front of a computer coding away, and uh, and and, uh, and and so it, I can imagine you 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 brought up this when we asked you the question. The problems, the challenges that organisations face designing APIs. This is the one you you said is a particular favourite of yours. Uh, I imagine introducing that people aspect to the API uh, design process is. It just makes it that much more complicated. Um, you've, now, in your book, you've, the design of web APIs, you've talked about designing a predictable API, and it should be consistent, adaptable, and discoverable. I'd like to dive in more into that uh, consistency aspect. What do you mean by making it consistent? Uh, so <clears throat> uh, let, let's take an example. Um, uh, if, on a, if on a washing machine, uh, you see uh, you have a, a, a button on the control panel with an icon, which is a triangle going to uh, the right. Yeah. Do you know what it means? Fast forward. <laughs> play. Fast forward or play or, yeah. Uh, it, people are able to understand that it means, okay, start what mm. this device should do. Yeah. And we know that because we have seen this burden elsewhere. We have seen this burden, especially on media devices or people are as old as me on Walkman, or cassette players and whatever. Yeah. But this is actually a consistent design. 
It's a design that looks like something you already have seen. Mm. And with consistent design, uh, you, are, you are ensuring that people will understand quickly how to use your API, what it does, and so on, because you are replicating something else. And so what are, the, what are the attributes of a consistent design then? What are you replicating? Yeah. So actually, there are four levels of consistency. Right. Uh, at minimum, your API should be consistent with itself. It means that if you decided that uh, a customer ID was a string, name, account number, uh, you should ensure that everywhere in your API where you, are, you, you need to retrieve that information or you need to provide it, it is name and type that way. Yep. If you change names, people will be lost. We, people won't be able to make the connection between the various operations, the values that are modeled in your API. Mm. Uh, at an upper level, uh, your API should be uh, consistent inside your, uh, let's say, your organization. It can be your team, it can be your business unit, it can be your group. So your API, all the APIs constructing your API surface must share uh, common features like how you handle security, how you manage error, how you represent versioning, uh, everything you can. That way, once you have learned to use the first API in your organization, when you shift to the next one, even if the business is completely different, at least you have uh, a common base. You don't have to relearn everything. Yeah. Next level is trying to create APIs that are consistent with your uh, business domain. For example, uh, in the banking industry, uh, there is standard, which is called ISO 2022. Uh, it's a terrible and ugly uh, standard uh, from my designer's perspective, but it's a standard that you should care about if you, are, if you want to create APIs that will be used by corporate banking software, because mm -hmm. this software actually understand pretty well ISO 2022. And there can be standard in travel, uh, in health. Uh, so always take a look at that to ensure that what you are building conforms to those standards. That way, your API will be easier to use. And last level is trying to make APIs like every other people around the world are doing them. So do not try to be too different. Uh, <clears throat> what does that mean? To, that mean yeah, yeah uh, that means, for example, uh, I'm trying to find an example. Um, <laughs> yeah, it could be, there are two ways of seeing that. First, there are standards that are not domain related. For example, if you want to represent countries or currencies, there are ISO codes for that. Uh, that everyone uses. So if you use them, your API will be interoperable. Mm -hmm. And there are also, uh, if you are doing REST APIs, uh, you, are, you should follow the HTTP protocol behavior and semantic 
So if you are using uh, the get HTTP method, don't dare to use it to delete something, for example, uh, because it's against the protocol. And there are also common practices. For example, if you want to uh, return data in a list, uh, there are various ways of doing that, but there are ways that are more common than others. For example, in my company, we decided to return list as an object containing a property named items containing the list. Either this list contains bananas or carrots or whatever. Uh, there are also common patterns regarding the, the definition of your uh, resource stuff. So try to see how people actually do them and replicate that. Because if you do like some of our APIs, especially famous ones, people who have used them, when they come and use your API, they will feel just like home. So that's I, why I guess that principle. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Anna. I guess that principle applies regardless of the type of API, whether it be RESTful or GraphQL, yeah. you can still make them consistent with each other yeah. in terms of those principles you just outlined. Yeah, hmm. yeah, totally. Okay, so is ensuring uh, your API is discoverable, um, which is one of those uh, three meanings of a predictable API, is it as simple as ensuring you have some good human-readable documentation, an API description format such as OpenAPI for <clears throat> machine-readable formats, and, and there may be a Postman collection for your HTTP client. Is that what you're talking about, discoverability, or is it more than that? Yeah. Uh, there's actually far more than that yes. uh, because, first, uh, very simply, okay, you, you made some documentation, you created a Postman collection, uh, but... If nobody knows how to find it, if nobody knows your API actually exists, mm -hmm. that document is worth nothing. Uh, mm -hmm. So actually you need to have a place. Uh, some people put it a portal, developer portal, whatever, uh, or uh, an API registry or, yeah. But you need to have a place where people can find all of your APIs. Mm -hmm. And so you will put in there uh, your your documentation, uh, your open API files and your Postman collection uh, regarding documentation, uh, reference documentation, which is usually based on open API uh, file. Depending on your context, they may be not enough. For internal API, they can be enough, but when you try when you provide APIs to the outside world, you need use case documentation that actually explain, uh, what you can do with API because the reference documentation is a kind of list of ingredients yes. that you need the recipe to actually use those ingredients. And on top of that, you need a very short and uh, business-focused uh, description of your API that will help people to understand how this API can solve that problem. So that's for the usual way of... Uh, how people think about discoverability. But there is something else uh, that you need to think about. It's when, you, uh, when you're actually using the API, you can make it discoverable in a sense of, okay, I have seen the documentation. I, I know that my first request could be uh, to read uh, the list of customers and I do a get slash customers. But if inside the response, 
you provide information to explain, okay, now you have a list of customers. Uh, you can uh, you can read a customer, delete a customer, or whatever. Uh, maybe you create them bank account. If you provide inside the response the links to other operations, like you would do in a website, that makes your API actually discoverable because some people don't like to read documentation. They just want to start to use the API. And so if you give them uh, directly what are the next possible operation, it could be interesting. Also, in the response itself, yeah. which yeah, was actually yeah. the original definition of a RESTful API, right? Exactly. And yeah. even if you don't want to do RESTful APIs, making APIs uh, consistent, make them discoverable because, okay, if I see a get slash users, I can guess that I can read a user by sending a get slash user slash user ID. I can guess that I can probably delete a user by trying to send a delete slash a user slash user ID. Because this API is, this design is consistent with common practices and this design also actually respects uh, the HTTP protocol. So making API discoverable means make them easy to find, but also when you use them, you need to provide by any means uh, information of how people can use it, how people uh, may find other operation and other features. Interesting. Um, what What is the role? There's some confusion, I think, sometimes in, in terms of the role of an API gateway in the whole serving of an API. Uh, can you, we're going to dive into the API gateway and the yeah. implementation of it. So first of all, can you just define what is the role of the API gateway? Uh, in my opinion, an API gateway uh, is only supposed to expose API in a secure way. That means uh, it's a kind of proxy, but it's a little bit more than a proxy. It mm -hmm. may handle high security level, such as, okay, our as an API gateway, I will ensure that only this application uh, will be able to consume this API. Mm. I may also say, okay, uh, this application can consume this API, but it can only use a subset of all the, of the available operations. Mm. Uh, an API gateway may also provide features such as throttling to say, okay, you can use the API, but you can only do, let's say, 10 calls per minute. Yes. That is for me the role of the API gateway. If you put something else in that inside it sometimes it can be interesting to do that but most of the time you are uh for me working on uh the domain of what should be inside the implementation and this is what i wanted to get to because i know you have some thoughts on this matter in terms of where the boundaries should lie between the api gateway and the implementation so because i know a lot of api gateways will allow you to do transformations and yeah. uh and caching and perhaps do other lookups and all these sort of uh, various things. And it's the, the lines are starting to blur between the gateway and the implementation of the service being proxied. Yeah. Uh, so, so can we dive into that? What, what, right. Where should those boundaries lie and what's the reasons for that? Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, what is, uh, so the, what, what is tied to uh, business, business rules 
shouldn't be, must not be in the gateway. Uh, so if you need for practical purpose to say, okay, we are returning data as JSON, but it could be interesting to return them as CSV. Okay, it could be just a technical transformation without business involved. Maybe it could be put in the gateway. But if you are starting to say, okay, now if the user is of type admin, we will do this or do that and call the service and uh, call two operations instead of one, uh, take some data, uh, hide them, subtract them, and that's business rules. Mm -hmm. And that must not be in the API gateway, it must be inside the implementation. So for me, the separation is really, okay, if it's high level security, if it's uh, a, a general concern, just technical concern and so on, it can work. But mm -hmm. the implementation must be the owner of all what is tied to uh, the business domain, the business rule, the business intelligence. And what is the reason for that? And what's the danger of if, yeah. if you have logic in both places? Uh, for what I've seen, I, I would say, remember what happened with ESBs. Mm -hmm. uh, I've worked in companies uh, having ESBs. We have put a lot of business logic in there. And it was really a total mess because it was uh, a proprietary technology uh, needing really specific uh, skills to develop in that. Uh, and when we wanted to get rid of that, it was really, really, really hard. Hmm. But if we had stick to say, okay, we are creating our application, we are there, they hold the business logic and so on. And on top of that, we had maybe a, a security layer doing all that stuff. If you want to change it, we can. So based on my experience, uh, developing business logic uh, inside gateways or ESBs for that matter, requires are actually usually specific skills. You need to understand the product, how it works, how you can develop on it. Sometimes you don't have all the features you would have uh, using regular programming language such as Java, .NET or whatever. You, you, you don't have unit tests, you don't have, uh, uh, you can create um, put in place CI, CD, uh, easily and so on. You can test in isolation. And uh, so that's why I prefer to keep the business logic outside of the API gateway. Yeah, because like you said, it is like an ESB. The, the API gateway is almost mimicking that ESB's type environment where you have uh, smart pipes. Uh, you know, so as opposed to the, you know, um, smart endpoints and, and, and yep. dump pipes, right? So it's, um, I totally get it as well as, of course, you mentioned the development process you have around the deployment process to those, to the application logic as well. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so where does the, so you mentioned the security should uh, and obviously that proxying concept and the authentication and the security is lying in the API gateway. Uh, but will you have circumstances where there is some level of security in the implement, the service itself, the oh, yeah. business logic as well? So yeah. where should the boundaries lie between the two? Yeah, so definitely putting an API gateway uh, in front of your uh, implementations, whatever it is, a, a good old monolith or microservices or whatever, 
The API gateway will only provide high-level security. As I said, it will ensure that only uh, registered consumers can use API in some sort of way. So let's say I grant access to my uh, user's API uh, to some uh, consumer. I just say, okay, this API is allowed to use my user's API. And inside this API, the consumer can use all of the functions. Let's say create users, delete users, search user, this user, and so on. Uh, if there is an end user using this application, let's say Arno, me, and uh, I trigger an API call that is supposed to delete a user. Mm. The gateway will say, okay, who is making this call? Oh, it's application that is allowed to use this API and this specific operation. So the call uh, is uh, sent then to the implementation. Mm. The implementation uh, needs to ensure that the call comes from uh, a known gateway, obviously. And it needs to ensure that actually the person, me, who is requesting to delete uh, user 1234 is actually allowed to do that. Mm. It means that, okay, user 1234 is someone who is in my team, so I can delete this user because uh, this person is no more in my team. But if it's not the case, the implementation to say, no, no, uh, Arno cannot delete this specific user. It can delete other users, but not this one because it did not belong is in, in its, uh, in his uh, data perimeter. Mm -hmm. So that's what I call application level security. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, people actually don't really get it at first time mm -hmm. because uh, they think, okay, we have an API gateway. It will handle all of the security, but no, because the API gateway don't know the business logic. The API mm -hmm. gateway don't know who is allowed to delete a specific user or not, who is allowed to read a specific user or not. Mm -hmm. This is the job of the implementation. And that's really important because uh, being able to, to access data that you are not allowed to is actually the API security 101 failure we see every two or three weeks. Mm. Uh, for instance, there was, uh, I don't remember the name of the application, but it was an application on iOS, I think, uh, that allow users to record uh, phone calls. And so yeah. the phone calls were stored somewhere. Mm -hmm. And to get phone calls, all you, had, all you had to do is was sending a request, uh, basically telling, okay, give me the phone calls for phone number, right whatever okay yes. mm -hmm. and what obviously if hackers look at what is uh doing the application when they see that what is their first move they say okay what happens if i put the phone number of someone else who may mm -hmm. be using the service and obviously in that case they were able to retrieve the conversation mm -hmm. because the implementation was not checking that okay i get get, uh, give me the, the, the conversation of a phone number, but this phone number does not match with the user who is connect, actually connected. Mm. That, that example you just gave there, I mean, that would, is, is, it's, it's a record level permission, but it's at like an account level ID. So I can imagine some sort of 
database saying sort of account ID and they're associated with some sort of token being passed on by the API gateway are allowed to read and write to these records in our database. But I'm imagining, particularly in the finance industry, which in which you work in a lot, it gets a lot more finely grained than that. And it get, would get quite complex when you're down to the record level of, of who's allowed to read and write to, yeah, yeah. to records. Are there any particular... Are there, are there frameworks around, like security-type frameworks around to, to do this sort of stuff, or do you really have to spin this stuff yourself? No, you, there are, I, in, as far as I know, no. You can, for example, in my company, when uh, a consumer is actually making an API call on the behalf of someone, uh, first the VL gateway, and they'll delegate the uh, authentication of the end user to an identity provider, uh, using uh, uh, SAML, and then we get uh, we know who is the user, what are his roles regarding this application, but it's only a fraction of what is actually needed to handle application level security. But at least the gateway transmits all this information to the implementation inside a job token, a JWT token, and that gives some hints for the implementation to do its job. But most of the time, the implementation needs to know, okay, uh, uh, the users are stored in this table and we know how to make uh, the joint with the other table to ensure that this user is actually allowed to do that. And that really depends on uh, the business you are doing, uh, what is your implementation, uh, how it works, uh, and so on. So actually there is no magic frameworks that will handle all the possibilities. There are frameworks who can handle uh, uh, role-based uh, security and so on, but sometimes you have to go uh, deeper than that. For example, uh, let's say that uh, a bank counselor try to make a wire transfer on the behalf of uh, the owner of a bank account. Yes. Um, this person can be allowed to make wire transfer from uh, 100 euros or dollars to a thousand dollars, but yes. not beyond. Yes. And that is, that is actually application level security. Yes. And that cannot be handled by a kind of generic uh, role-based access uh, mechanism. You have to actually write uh, your own custom one. I was hoping you'd say, yes, go here and you can, <laughs> you can buy one of those off the shelf, but sadly not. <laughs> um, it's interesting, like a lot of the stuff we're talking about in terms of design and stuff, which is still very topical today. I mean, we've been working with APIs for several years now and, and people are still struggling with a lot of these concepts. Um, I'm guessing at some point in time, APIs themselves will just become hardware, their endpoints and mechanisms and, and all this stuff, which in these foundation days will seem, you know, old hat. Uh, what are you seeing in the space? Like we have REST and GraphQL and Async API and gRPC. Uh, some architectures trending more than others. Is it, um, what do you, what do you see happening in the API space? Uh, actually, yes, there are, New or not so new uh, technology because gRPC uh, has been there for a long time. GraphQL starts to uh, be there also for a few years. Uh, and I think there will always be new ways of making software 
talking to each other. Hmm. Uh, the important for me, and especially uh, when people say come to me and say, okay, uh, we don't want to do a REST API, we want to do with fancy new ways of doing API because it's brand new and we want to do brand new things. Say, okay, but why are you picking this particular technology? Hmm. What problem are you trying to solve that can be solved and can it be actually solved with this particular technology? Hmm. And, and as an architect, I try to moderate people and say, okay, it's not because it's brand new, but it is actually the solution. It's not because you like it, but you need to use it always. Hmm. So uh, regarding all these different ways of doing APIs, I, my rule of thumb is say, okay, what is the problem we are trying to solve? And we must choose the adapted solution. If yeah. the adaptive solution is doing a good old REST API, we will do a good old REST API. And that has some advantage because people are used to them. People can use them quickly and they are easier to implement. But if we need to do uh, async API uh, because we are inside our company, we want to, um, to use Kafka for actual really good reasons, mm. we'll do that. And if we need to... Uh, uh, let's say creates uh, a backend for frontend for mobile application, and we need to optimize uh, network calls and so on. Maybe you can do GraphQL, but the problem with GraphQL is uh, it can be really tricky. Uh, you can do crazy thing with it, and especially you can uh, just destroy uh, your system because the uh, consumer can send really complex requests. And if you don't have mechanism that prevent them to do that, uh, they will send those crazy requests and your system will just go down. Mm. Or you will have to pay 300% uh, more than what you expected on your uh, AWS or uh, Google Cloud uh, provider. So yeah, there are new ways of doing things and there will always be. But in my opinion, and actually it's not really an opinion for me, it's a fact, Choose the adapted, adapted tool uh, to your context. And on top of that, all the design principles. If you have learned actual design principles and not just the technology, you will be able to apply those principles on REST, on GraphQL, on gRPC, or ANSYC API. So mm -hmm. make your API, whatever they are, consistent, usable, uh, and so on and everything will be okay, but just be sure to choose to choose the right technology for what you want to do. Not just because it's fun, it's new, and oh, Netflix is doing that. Yeah, but actually we're well, not Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Sensible advice, Anal. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, you make it all sound very accessible and easy to understand. Um, how can our listeners uh, learn more about what you're writing about and discover things like the design of web APIs, the book you've published with Manning? Uh, they can come to, uh, to my blog. Uh, I, uh, since March, I started to write, to write more frequently, uh, a post a week. So I learned my experience, my failures, my thoughts. Uh, and uh, so people can learn from, from that. They can follow me on Twitter. Uh, with the handle API Handyman. 
And uh, obviously, uh, are on Twitter and on uh, my blog, people can find a link to uh, buy, uh, buy my book. But actually, they can read it online uh, on the money website. Uh, you can read it freely. I think it's five minutes a day. You, uh, you, you can actually read it. Uh, yeah. So you can see what is actually speaking of. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can test it before buying it. And uh, and uh, actually, if you like the book or if you didn't like it, uh, I'd like to have feedback from uh, readers because uh, I may work on uh, a new version of the book, uh, if time permits. Uh, so having feedback could be interesting. I did that myself, actually. I, I went to the Mannings and I was reading sections of the book and it starts to obfuscate the, 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 yeah. the text after you've been reading it for a while. It's, it's quite yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 But uh, and of course, your, your the, the figures... You, you can still read the figures afterwards. Yes. Yeah. So uh, sometimes they are interesting just by themselves. <laughs> and of course, your, your um, uh, blog is at apihandyman.io as well. Thank you for joining us today, Anal. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, listeners, hope you had a wonderful time listening to that episode. For those who stuck around, we've got a special surprise for you. We're giving away a digital copy of Arnaud Lorette's book, The Design of Web APIs, courtesy of Manning Publications. Simply follow us on Twitter at ToroCloud, like and retweet our contest post, which is pinned on the top of our Twitter feed. One random winner will be chosen and contacted via DMs. Good luck! So what did you think of that podcast episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. On behalf of the team here, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers! <laughs>